chapter number 5. And if you didn't bring your Bible, I'm going to really encourage you to grab a pew Bible. Most of our pew Bibles are what we would call our older pew Bibles. And you can find Matthew 5 on page 959. If you have a new pew Bible, I have no idea where Matthew chapter 5 is. But good luck, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. We're in week 3 of a 7-week look at the Sermon on the Mountain. It's crazy to think that we could tackle the entire Sermon on the Mountain in just 7 weeks. But that's what we're trying to do. Two weeks ago, we gave you an appetizer message, covered it all just kind of in snapshot version. And then the the next six weeks, we're going chunk by chunk by chunk. Last week, we looked at the Beatitudes and what's it mean to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Next week, we're going to tackle issues like giving and prayer and fasting and forgiveness and this concept of what is model spirituality. Two weeks from today, we're talking about the things of heaven and the stuff of earth. And some of Jesus' most radical statements about money and material possessions are in those 14, 15, 16 verses of Scripture at the end of Matthew chapter 6. Three weeks from today, Thanksgiving weekend, Adam will be preaching the first part of chapter 7, How Do We Do What We Do?, And then we'll wrap it up on December 6th when second service begins at 1045 with uh, the big idea that it's tough to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. Jesus said, build your house on the rock. But today we're in the the second part of Matthew chapter 5 and and the idea of Jesus and the Old Testament, Jesus and the Hebrew scriptures, Jesus and the law and the prophets. What was his perspective? And that's the question I want to ask you. Just think about that for just a moment. What was Jesus's perspective of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew scriptures? Have you ever heard somebody say the Old Testament doesn't matter? It's not relevant. It's not important. It's old. New covenant is here. Jesus came. And so I can have a ham and cheese sandwich. And so I don't have to follow the letter of the law anymore. Was that Jesus's perspective? The answer is absolutely not. Jesus addressed it in chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. Jesus said that he did not come to do away with the law. He did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus is basically saying in so many words, I am the chosen one. I am the Messiah. I am the person that the law and the prophets pointed to down the road. I am the one. And so the idea that I came to do away with the law, that's crazy. I didn't come to do away with it. I came to fulfill it. In verse 17, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so the big idea for this week, the thing that I want you to take away from this morning is this, followers of Jesus Christ, we're not called to just keep the law, but to accelerate it, to take it to another level. I'm calling it above and beyond faith in action. And what Jesus does with the 32 verses that we're going to look at today, he gives us six examples from the Old Testament, from the law, from the prophets. And these examples include life. Does life matter? The issue of murder? Um, Does purity matter? Do our marriages matter? What about the idea of taking an oath? What about the idea of trying to get revenge? What do we do with our enemies? So I'll be honest, there's too much for today. There's too much for one sermon. This should be a six-week sermon series in itself, but we're going to tackle it. We're going to read a lot of scripture, and then you're going to have some work to do this afternoon. You're going to have some work to do this week in terms of how do you put this into practice in your life. So with that, let's dive in. Example number one, Jesus uses commandment number six, do not murder. He says in verse 21, you've heard it said, to the people long ago, 
do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus' perspective is that commandment number six, of course we need to keep. Do not murder. Life, life matters. All life matters. But he says, don't even allow anger to drive your life. Don't get to the point that you are killing someone in your heart. You're killing someone in your mind. Have you killed anybody this week in your heart? Killed anybody this week in your mind because you're angry with them? Because they've wronged you? Because you've been disrespected? And you feel justified and so you, you want something bad to happen to them. You hope that trouble comes their way. You remember the words that you've read in Scripture, you reap what you sow. And you want some reaping to take place. Jesus says if that's where you're at, you've got to stop. You've got to change. It's not just don't commit murder. It's don't get angry. Don't kill them in your heart. Now, I need to say right here, if you've read the Bible, you may say, well, didn't Jesus turn the tables over in the temple? And he did. And I would say that that was righteous anger. And I would say, it's okay if we have righteous anger. It should anger us that there's kids that will go to sleep tonight hungry in this world. That should make you angry. Today is Orphan Sunday. It should anger you that there are so many orphans in this world that have not been claimed or cared for by someone in the name of Jesus Christ. I, I was moved last week, as many of you were, by Dr. T. Lund Kim from India and, and the story that he didn't want to start an orphanage. He had enough going on. He had a hospital. He had a seminary. He had a nursing school. He had a Bible college. He had 500 churches. He didn't want to start an orphanage, but he had to because there were so many little kids. In M5, I've met some of those little kids. They had nowhere to go. Righteous anger, okay. Do something about that. But this idea that I don't like you, I don't get along with you, even though you're my brother in Christ, even though you're my sister in Christ, Jesus said, we can't just have that. In verse 23, he says, in fact, if you're getting ready to give a gift and you remember that someone has something against you, don't even give the gift. Go and be reconciled. And so next week, we're going to talk about forgiveness as well. And I, I really feel like the Holy Spirit is putting on this church this idea that we have to take reconciliation seriously. We can't be in conflict with one another. We can't have different camps. I'm in his camp, or I'm in her camp, or I'm with him, or I'm with her. We have to be one. And Jesus says, if that's not where you're at, it's got to stop now. Change must 
happen. Jesus' perspective, don't even let anger drive your life. And so practically speaking, what are we called to do? We're called to be proactive and settle or resolve conflicts quickly. And I'll throw this in, and I'm moving on to number two. If you are in conflict with someone, if you are having a dispute with someone, just pray this prayer. God, what do you want me to do? And then be open to what God will tell you to do, because I know what he's going to tell you to do. Resolve that conflict. Number two, do not commit adultery. Commandment number seven. Jesus says in verse 27, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. The commandment was meant for the community, do not commit adultery. If you are married, you are to be only with your spouse. You are not to be with anyone else's spouse. And that's commandment number seven. And I would just say, bottom line, we need to practice that. Bottom line. And I know that's not necessarily what our world says. I know that's not necessarily what culture says. But I'm saying above and beyond any culture, any idea that's out in the modern world, we must keep the marriage bed pure. That's an obvious statement, I hope, to you. But Jesus says that's not even enough. It's not enough just to keep the marriage bed pure. He's saying if you even look lustfully at another person, you're missing the mark. You've allowed lust to enter your heart. Have you ever heard someone say, I'll never act on it, but I do a little window shopping from time to time. You ever heard somebody kind of say that with a smirk? Jesus says, no more window shopping. Jesus says, lust has no place in your heart. And so practically speaking, here's what we're called to do. We need to do whatever it takes to keep our hearts and our lives pure. Now, I need to go back to verse 29 and 30 because this has been misunderstood through much of church history. Jesus is not saying, go get a spoon and, and literally rip your eye out. Jesus is not saying, go get the hacksaw and literally cut your arm off. This is hyperbole. And what he's saying is, change your context. Change your behavior. Change your pattern. Change your lifestyle. And so I'm going to say to the men that are here today, if there's a part of your life right now that is bringing you into conflict with Jesus' teaching here, you need to make a change. And maybe that means no more unsupervised computer time. Maybe that means tough conversations with someone you really love and you really trust, saying, I need accountability in my life because I don't have control over it. And it's getting the best of me. I could share statistics with you that would make you shudder the damage that pornography does to male teenagers. It's in the 80 to 85% range, the number that are introduced to pornography during their junior high or senior high years. And that's an image that's in the mind forever. Forever. And so Jesus says, do whatever it takes to make sure purity is a staple in your life. And I would say this, I think one of Satan's greatest tactics for men in this arena is to say, I, I can't tell anybody because I'll be shamed. I can't tell the truth because he'll never look at me the same 
or she'll never look at me the same. That's a lie of Satan. The best thing we can do if we struggle in this area. Now, I'm not saying grab the microphone at 1115 and tell 300 people. I'm not saying that. But the best thing we can do is come clean and seek accountability, and you will find freedom. Example number three, divorce. Jesus says in verse 31, it's been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And I need to take you back to Deuteronomy chapter 24 in the second giving of the law. The book of Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. In chapter 24, Moses allowed for divorce. And it was, believe it or not, for the good of the community and for the protection of the woman. Now, this was not meant to be a regular happening. This was meant to be the exception, not the rule. By the time we get to the first century world, however, the religious leaders of the day are abusing it to the point that elsewhere in Matthew, Jesus is asked the question, aren't we allowed to offer a certificate of divorce for any and every reason? Because that's what was happening during the day. And so you're married for a while, and your wife keeps burning the fried chicken, and so she's out. Or you're married for a while, and your wife puts on a couple pounds, she's out. Or you're married for a while, and your wife did the laundry, and she washed the shirts on hot instead of cold, and your shirt shrunk, and so she's out. And you're laughing, but that's really what was happening in the first century world. The religious leaders, the people that supposedly feared God, were divorcing their wives for any and every reason. And Jesus said, oh no, 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 no. We're not going down that road. And so I want to just say, some of us have been through divorce. Some of us, we don't even like it when it even gets mentioned because it brings back a bevy of bad memories. If that's in your past, that's in your past. I'm not even talking to you today. This isn't about you. I'm talking to people today that are married or are thinking about marriage in the near future. Jesus' take is this, make your marriage, current or future, a priority. Make it the best it possibly can be. Far too many Christians stay in marriages that, that are not good marriages, and, and they don't choose divorce, and I'm glad that they don't choose divorce, but they never say, I want my marriage to be the very best that it can be. And Jesus is saying, marriage should be a priority. So practically, what do we do? We don't settle for a legal right. We don't settle for possibly an easy way out. Do whatever it takes to make your marriage thrive. I don't want you to come up to me afterwards and say, you know, I got divorced eight years ago. Are you talking to me? Are you condemning me? That is not the intention of what I'm wanting to do here. I'm wanting current marriages and especially future marriages to be the very best they possibly can be. Last word on this, and I'm moving on. If you find yourself in a marriage and, and it's not what it should be and it's not what you want it to be, and most importantly, it's probably not what God wants it to be, and you don't know what to do, seek me out. Um, we'll help you. We'll find resources along the way. Make marriage the best it possibly can be. Number four, Jesus talks about oaths. And this is something that's so far off our radar, you might not even know what he's talking about here. So let me read and let me tell you a little bit about it. Verse 33, Jesus says again, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath. 
but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Well, what's an oath? Well, I might take an oath that says this year I'm going to give 20% of my income to the Kuki Christian Church mission in India. That would be an oath that I would make before the Lord, and that's basically a promise that I'm making to help accelerate my relationship with the Lord. Oaths were never required. They were always optional, but many people would make oaths, and the only thing about an oath was that once you made an oath, you better not break it. You make an oath, you better be good with your word. By the time we get to the first century world, by the time we get to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, they'd made a mockery of this. Just to give you some scriptural references, if you're an above and beyond kind of student, here's some references of what I'm talking about in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.12, Numbers 30, verse 2, Deuteronomy 5.11, Deuteronomy 6.13, and Deuteronomy 23.21-23. They talk about oaths and how they are optional, but they're valued, and they're important, and keep your oath. By the time you get to the first century world, it was such a mockery that if I make an oath to heaven, well, then I really mean that. But if I make an oath to the earth, it's kind of like doing this. Yeah, I, I promise I'll do that. Kind of crossing your fingers behind your back. And so a person's word wasn't really their word. You almost had to be able to decipher, okay, well, that oath was on their house. That's not as powerful as an oath made to heaven. And so what Jesus is saying, just stop the games. Stop playing around. Be a person of your word. Be a person of your word. And so what's that have to do with us today? Here's what I think this means. It means that we need to make sure that we are not guilty of verbally dancing. You ever know someone that, that you just can't get the straight scoop from them? You ask them a question, and they just kind of, they, they dance around that, and they're over here, and they're over there, and some of you are smirking, and don't name any names, but I'm, I'm just saying, that's not good. Jesus is saying, don't verbally dance, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. Why, why don't we just do that? Because it's hard. Because we don't want people to be upset with us. Because we draw a line in the sand, it's not going to always be welcome. But Jesus says, be a person of your word. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Don't verbally dance. Number five, revenge. Verse 38. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And again, goes back to the Old Testament law. Here's your references if you want to check this out later. Exodus 21:24, Leviticus 24:19 and 20. In Deuteronomy 19.21, this is part of the law, and there was consequences for harming someone. This idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it was part of the covenant. If you kill my wife, you're going to suffer penalty for that. There's going to be a consequence for that. 
And so by the first century world, once again, religious leaders of the day had made a mockery of this law that was put into place to scare people from bad behavior, to keep people living like they're supposed to be living. And and there are a bunch of people looking for revenge day in, day out. You better not cross me or I'm coming back at you with my full force. And so Jesus says, my followers are called to be different. Jesus says, leave revenge to the Lord and love others in spite of their actions and their behavior. Jesus says, and I love this in verse 39, do not resist an evil person. Do not resist someone who's out to get you. Wow, is that countercultural. And then he gives some examples. Someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, give them the cloak as well. Someone reaches out and punches you in the right cheek, turn to him the left. And then in verse 41, he says, if someone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. This was part of the Roman law of the day. Let's just say that Samuel and I, we're out on a, on a journey, we're going for a walk, and, and it's the first century world, and a Roman soldier comes up. That Roman soldier could say to Samuel or to me, carry my burden, and you were required by law to carry all of his gear for one mile. And at the end of that one mile, what are you probably going to do? You're going to get that off your back and say, I'm out of here. I did my one mile and I'm on my way. And Jesus says, you get to the one mile mark, just smile and keep walking. Go to. I promise you that when he shared this sermon, that was not encouraging information for the hearers of the day. The last thing they wanted to do was go the extra mile. But practically speaking, that's what we're called to do. Literally, go the extra mile in life. You find yourself dealing with difficult people. You find yourself in conflict with others. Jesus says, don't avoid. Don't resist. Literally, love. Literally, go the extra mile in my name, for my sake, for my glory. Number six, enemies. Jesus talks about enemies. Verse 43, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he didn't go to the Ten Commandments. He said, number one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And he said, number two is love your neighbor as yourself. And here, at the end of this chunk of teaching on the law, Jesus says, yeah, love your neighbor, but love your enemy as well. That's the most countercultural thing that he said in this entire passage of Scripture. Love your enemy as well. Jesus' perspective is, it's hard, it's difficult, you don't want to do it, you are called to love your enemies. And so right now, what I would like to do is I would like for you to visualize your enemy. 
think about it. And I know some of you are saying, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I don't have any enemies. But just for a moment, surely there's someone that you're in conflict with. Surely there's someone that you're frustrated. Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's a, a, a different gathering of some sort. Maybe it's, it's someone that just, man, they've made your life difficult. I want you to visualize that person or persons right now. And Jesus says, as hard as it is, practically speaking, start loving those who hate you and start praying for those who hate you. Love those who hate you and pray for those who hate you. And Jesus, what are you doing? I got to love the people that hate me? I have to pray for the people that hate me and persecute me and mock me and make my life tough? Yep. Why? What's the summary for all of this? I believe the summary, the bottom line is this. Jesus calls his followers, you and I, to above and beyond faith in action. Above and beyond faith in action. Jesus is saying just good enough is not good enough. And really, the verse that I think all of this kind of hinges on, some people believe the entire Sermon on the Mount hinges on, is, I didn't read it, it's in our passage, but I have not read it yet. It's verse 20, where Jesus says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so I leave you with one challenge. And it's a simplistic, grade school, Sunday school type challenge. Live the words of Jesus this week. F find one of these six examples, one of these areas that maybe has hit you, maybe has touched you, and say, this week, I'm going to be different. This week, I'm going to have a conversation. This week, I'm going to send an email or a text or a letter, or I'm going to visit someone. This week, things change. We used to sing a song at church camp, they will know we are Christians by our love. And it's really simplistic in terms of singing and it's really difficult to live it out and that's what jesus is saying he didn't come to do away with the old testament he came to fulfill it and when he fulfilled it we are called to above and beyond faith and action let's pray god thank you for today thank you for the opportunity to to be uncomfortable Thank you for the opportunity to maybe sweat a little bit, to do a little self-assessment with our lives. And God, I just pray that we'll never be content with just good enough. I know that many times uh, I've missed the mark. Many times we've missed the mark. And yet we're not called to, to throw our hands up in the air and say, well, I blew it. We're called to, to change. We're called to be different. We're called to be distinctive. We're called to be declarative. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray.
It is uh, 